Pretty nice cover, and it gave time for everyone across the world to get on. Uh, today is September 8th, 2021. Welcome to the Tory Says Show. I am so excited to have an actual subject matter expert, a real expert in regards to masks. And as you all know, tomorrow is my hearing at 11 a.m. and I know uh, almost the whole world has read my complaint and um, Mr. Petty's incredible affidavit. And he has been working nonstop, turning as many as he can before he uh, goes away on a well-deserved vacay for uh, a couple weeks. So for those of you that are still filing, uh, you know, we've got some great minds. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of us working together uh, to figure out how you can uh, put uh, together your lawsuits and um, uh, have your voice heard, always playing on their system. So before my guest comes on housekeeping, I just want to tell you something. So tomorrow during my hearing, as you know, everything's my complaint. But everything that's said on the record is what counts too. So you're going to be seeing a secret weapon of law right? We never show all our weapons. I mean, that's not how you win a battle, is it? And I hope you guys are excited for this because I've been working on this one really, really hard. Um, so to introduce my guests, I think it's very important that we visit a report, a quick report that was aired on CNN. This report um, was so upsetting to uh, the organization that um, the host nearly ended the interview. Oh, wait, you think I'm just saying that? Wait, let me show you how CNN's own YouTube channel says that. They literally said that. Whoops, Mr. Petty, sorry about that. I just got us on beforehand. That was my sneak show. Okay, so take a look. Here we go. CNN host nearly ends interview after mask answer. So let's hear what upset him so much. Those vaccinated go back to wearing masks indoors in uh, regions of the country that are seeing substantial or high rates of COVID-19 spread. With cases rising in every state right now, uh, that designation applies to the near majority of counties across the country. And the head of the CDC says everyone in and around schools should wear masks, even if they're vaccinated. 
A group of New Jersey parents uh, is taking legal action to block any mask mandates in public schools this fall. I'm joined now by Kelly Ford, the mom leading the lawsuit, and Bruce Afrin, the group's attorney. Uh, thank you so much for being uh, with us. Kelly, I first want to start with you. Your reaction to what we heard today from the CDC. Well, it's eerily similar to last year when they uh, talked about how the COVID virus was um, becoming more of a pandemic and that they decided to forcibly mask all kids going back to school. Uh, so I accepted it because it was a temporary executive emergency order. And uh, the emotional, psychological and physical toll that a year and a half of mask on kids, specifically my children and the parents who've spoken to me have taken greatly outweighs the impact that the virus, including the Delta variant, has on kids. So let me ask you this. Do you believe masks work as a measure to or uh, to mitigate the spread of the virus? Let's just start there. Well, I think that the more important question is, does the government have a right to force children to wear masks for up to eight hours a day? I hear that, but I'd like an answer their... to the question I asked, please. Do you believe that masks work to to stop the spread of the virus? I think there's many cases where, um, especially with kids, the masks don't work because they're not being worn properly. Um, there's arguments where people aren't wearing the per correct type of mask. So I think that that is something that cannot be controlled in all of New Jersey's schools. Um, Bruce, I think we probably should stop the conversation right there. If we're having a conversation about whether masks work or not, I really believe the rest of this is, is futile because we know that the well, science shows that masks work. Well, Victor, you brought up, Kelly, let me say this. Victor, you brought up the subject. So don't tell me you're stopping the conversation when you bring up the subject. But the answer listen, is, wait, wait a minute, hold on. We invited you here to talk about the lawsuit, right? Of course, if you believe that masks should not be mandated in schools, it is natural for me to ask, do you believe that masks work? Because the follow up then is, then what should you do to stop the spread of the virus? But if you're starting with, well, maybe the mask works, maybe it doesn't. I think the rest of what you have to say is moot because we have to start with a science base. We have to agree on Are the facts first. Are you or do you want to hear the guests speak or just you give the talk? Now, I the answer is very simple. Excuse uh, me. We live in a constitutional democracy. We do not have government by doctors meeting in conference rooms at CDC and issuing press releases. CDC is an advisor to the government. It yes, issue studies. I understand that. Let me finish. It should issue studies, and Congress and legislatures should take this up. We do not have government by private conference room and governors making judgments based on four or five unknown doctors in CDC headquarters. That so is not our these are not unknown doctors, first of all. Second, the police powers given to the government allow them to make rules based on public health, based on public safety. Absolutely Jacobson not. v. The Massachusetts allows them to make these types of rules if necessary. decision, Victor, that has been discredited by modern constitutional law. No serious jurist at any appellate level relies on a 1905 Jacobson decision. You want to learn law before you start lecturing law professors. So on I've got CNN. your I've got your lawsuit in front of me. You say that you ridicule the use of dividers. You call them imprisoning children. You don't want them to use uh, masks. You, you don't want masks used. You also 
uh, ridicule social distancing. So then how do you stop the spread of a virus in a school if, well, if all three of those are off the table? We've lived through 18 months of social distancing and masks and plastic dividers. And obviously it doesn't work. And every time a coronavirus shows up, the government says, well, we have no answers. Let's lock people down and mask them again. We need to do this through Congress and state legislatures, not through private conference rooms at CDC and press releases and governors who issue unilateral orders. That Bruce. has never been American democracy. So that was CNN asking questions they didn't want answers to. And I have uh, Stephen Petty here with me today, who is actually a subject matter expert because you know, CNN, your school boards, these governors, everywhere you go, they have um, all these insane science that they're deriving. And the one thing that I know as a scientist is that nothing is solid in science. Uh, you know, I've said this before. Uh, back in the days, we used to, there's bottles that claim that you give heroin to children for a cough where we used to give chloroform to help babies sleep. You know, this this is old school things that were real. There's actually, you can Google that and find it. But that changed as we saw the repercussions of giving chloroform to children, how it doesn't work and how giving a patient cocaine for the pain, uh, you know, long-term, not so good. You know, we have deviated septums, addictions. So that was quickly done and finished. This is science evolved. So if they believe that the masks were gonna work, let's just say, <laughs> which they don't, it doesn't make sense. Um, then we can say, well, now all these studies are coming out talking about how they don't, and in actual fact, how bad they are for your bodies. I mean, there's studies now that conspiracy theorists were saying, hey, this COVID vaccine is causing issues with menstrual cycles. What's announced a day ago that the NIH is deploying a study to see how the vaccine is affecting menstrual cycles. Why? Because it's being reported as a symptom. So this is how science evolves when you're uh, going through uncharted waters. It's pretty normal. But the fact of science in regards to masks is pretty well known. We've had viruses, bacteria, debris, chemicals, you know, for centuries. So we know what works. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over the floor to the best subject matter expert I could find. And not only that, a guy that loves his country so much and loves what he does so much that he has selflessly dedicated himself to educate the people, to bring forth this information and to help all of you fight within the courts. Uh, Mr. Petty, thank you for being on the Tory Says Show. Welcome. Uh, Dr. Um, Mr. Petty, uh, you have your mic, your mic muted. You have to unmute yourself. <laughs> That's my bad. That's my bad. There you uh, go. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and uh, hopefully I can provide some ammunition for people in your audiences to go back at some of these uh, false truths. Fantastic. So, okay. They talked about on that short clip where CNN lost their mind because they asked a question they really didn't want an answer for. I'm, I laugh at the fact when I walk up to a reception desk and there's a five by four plastic divider and I'm thinking, okay, that's good if I spit or cough, but not a virus. I don't think viruses stop 
in that small space where your face is. And I kind of laugh and chuckle at that too. Masks as well. I mean, I demonstrated it when I was telling my daughter, you know, these don't work here. How, here's how big a smoke particle is. And I lit a cigarette and we were outside and I blew smoke through my mask. And I said, if that can get through there and the virus is hundred, a thousand times smaller than a smoke particle, don't you think the virus goes through? And she was like, then why are we wearing them? Yeah, there's uh, at some point we'll look at some slides, but to answer your question and your audience to your audience directly, the, um, if you can see particles, they're on the order of 50 microns, which is uh, like if you see dust dancing in the sunlight through a window. The COVID particle um, is on the order of 0.1 microns or about 500 times smaller. Um, the big issue with masks, in my opinion, is even if I conceded that the mask was 100% effective and it's not, there are gaps around the mask. And I have a podcast on, uh, um, it's, it's over in Rumble, but number five, called the Great Gatsby or the Holy Mask. And I show from the literature that um, if you have even 3% area of gaps, then um, whatever effectiveness that mask had is zero. And so the key is that you cannot seal a mask. The only thing you can seal is a respirator. And we, we are in a field called industrial hygiene, which is not well understood by the public. One of the biggest challenges we have is there not very many of us and so the media and politicians go to medical doctors to uh, get their information on on industrial hygiene which is the science of exposure and exposure control to give you an example i've been named in about 400 cases i'm currently uh, the an exposure ppe expert for these monsanto roundup cases i've been in 32 so far and you always have someone like myself to deal with exposure and exposure control. And then you have a medical doctor who talks about, well, if that's our exposure, that might've caused her disease. So it's kind of like having your dentist do your heart surgery. They may both be smart and sharp people, but I don't think you want your dentist doing your heart surgery. And you don't want your doctor doing your mechanics work. Well, it's really inappropriate in, in most cases to have a medical doctor talking about exposure control. That's the field of industrial hygiene. And that's when one of the big, big lessons that I need to teach people. But the key is in industrial hygiene, there's what we call a hierarchy of control. And I don't know, Tori, if you can bring that up on the, the slide. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I I'm can. Jump around, but if you bring twelve up, number twelve. Number twelve, of course. Let me get that for you. I don't want to seem too academic. There's some front end stuff there. We'll skip. Um, is it this one or the next one? Right there. That's super. Ropes down one. That one. The nice, right? pretty looking triangle, inverted. So, in in the field of industrial hygiene, this has been around um, since about 1950 from the Nas uh, National Safety Council. And what it is is when we're trying to control exposures, this is the hierarchy which we try to do it with, with most effective being on top, least effective being on the bottom, and. Uh, it turns out substitution elimination really doesn't apply to COVID. That would be like if you have a chemical that's really hazardous, like the carcinogen, you substitute it with a non-carcinogen. But the next tier down is what we call engineering controls. And that's where you try to dilute the contaminant with fresh air, or you try to destroy it. Or you can try to contain it, but that doesn't really apply for COVID. The next uh, 
least effective strategy is administrative controls. And that just means you keep people out of the area as much as you can. Again, if you're in a, an environment like a school and you gotta be in the school, that's hard to do. And the least desirable is personal protective equipment. For respiratory protection, that would be a respirator. And the reason that's least effective is because we know from decades of experience as industrial hygienists that people won't wear PPE long-term. It's uncomfortable. We see that even with masks. Half the people we see in masks is down below their nose. But the point being made is that PPE is, is really only intended most of the time in a temporary sense, and then you want to move back up the line. I don't know if you can see the bottom of this slide on your for your folks, but where that says page 12, and at the bottom of the point, there's a thing that says mask. Masks don't even fit within this hierarchy because masks are not respirators. And as a consequence, um, it's mainly because you can't seal them. And um, one of the things that I try to do is, is uh, the only real law that exists out there on respirators is called the respiratory protection standard. And um, it's it's in the Code of Federal Regulations, 29 CFR 1910.134. And it has a whole series of requirements. And if you could slip to, um, let's see if I can find it real quick. Well, that's a pretty interesting slide that I'm seeing yeah. right now, which is where it shows the PPE that can be sealed and the PPE that cannot be sealed. Exactly. There's there's what I'm trying to show is that um, aside from the fact that, that masks aren't particularly effective in terms of uh, what can be stopped going through them, uh, the big issue is you can't seal them. There's no way to seal them, and the literature is clear on that. Now, I, if you're where you're at, Tori, um, there's some great stuff that I've just put together. If you can slide down to 20. By the way, both OSHA and CDC say that the mass won't work for small particles. They just say it on about page six, not on page uh, Okay, so this is 1920, the AHA guidance document? Right. The okay. industrial hygienists have a trade association called the American Industrial Hygiene Association. And I pulled this out of their September 9th, 2020 guidance document. And if you slide down one more, you'll see the infamous hierarchy of control, slightly different words, but really the same thing. But the real interesting slide is the one after that. And I want to spend some time with your audience on this one, if they'll bear with me. What AIHA is saying is that, <clears throat> that um, if you're going to put a control out there, you want it to be effective. And what they're saying here is that the relative risk reduction should be 90%. So that is, if you have 100% potential of getting sick from COVID, whatever you apply, you want 90% of the people not to get sick. And anything less than that would be unacceptable. So you can see here on the top that if you have around four and a half air changes per hour, and what that means is if you have a room, whatever room you're in, unless you're outside enjoying the weather, um, and you change that air out in an hour, that's one air change per hour. And the more of those you have, the more you're gonna dilute contaminants. So they're saying at, at about four and a half air changes per hour, that's a 90% reduction. And that's the threshold that the American Industrial Hygiene Association is claiming. The more interesting thing to hear is the, the box below on face coverings. Their effectiveness is ten, five to 10%. So I'm not sure if you want to, if you're trying to protect people from COVID, and, and by the way, there's some assumptions here that 
that there's gaps that even get smaller, almost to zero. There's no way in the world you want to recommend something to somebody as an exposure professional if your threshold's 90% of the people you're preventing from getting whatever the situation is, in this case, say COVID, with something that only is 5 to 10% effective at best. So this is, this is very informative. It's very helpful. And I'm here to tell you that the 5 to 10% is assuming that there's not significant gap area. In other words, a lot of these studies with masks are done where the mask is sealed around a mannequin or a fixture. Well, that's not the real world. I don't know uh, if you've seen my podcast, Holy Mask, but all you have to do is look at anybody with a mask on in the area below their eyes on either side of the nose and on the side it crinkles up. There are gaps there. And those gaps are freeways for things to come and go. So this is a very, it's a little busy, but it's very interesting. So if we go to the next one real quick, I don't want to bore your audience with too many slides. We can go my down. Audience, my audience, like me, are taking notes. Okay. <laughs> if we go to the next one. So again, what's this mean? And I think I've said it, but I wanted to put it in black and, or I guess it's white and blue, that exposure controls must have a relative risk reduction threshold of 90%. And even the AIHA, and I think they're conservative, says that the masks only have five to 10%. That clearly doesn't meet the threshold. Uh, a lot of people call me anti-mask, but I'm really, I'm really pro things that will work. And the engineering controls, as I've shown your audience, in the hierarchy of controls is where we wanna be. We wanna either ventilate it, that is add more fresh air, and we'll talk about that at length later, or we wanna destroy it. And um, and so they agree that ventilation rates of four and a half to six air changes an hour will do that for us. Um, the other thing is they say N95s will work, but I, I've got a slide that shows that they don't. Um, so you can tell sometimes I don't agree with their science either. Um, Mr. Petty, um, I wanted, if we can, because you keep referring to that video and your videos are really small. I mean, I don't know how you put so much information. I mean, obviously you're an expert, so that's why you do it. But I always have difficulty in um, uh, putting together information so concisely. But I have your Rumble channel up. Yeah, if you go. What I want to do is play this video so everyone can watch it. Um, yeah, if you play five, I think people will get a big kick out of it. Well, here we go. I am. Um, so all of you, just so you know, you can find him on Rumble his petty podcast right here. Which one do I go to? It's the holy mask or Episode number five. five. So I'm going to scroll down. This is four, six, three, one, zero. Gosh darn it, five. There we go, this one, right? How much protection can a mask provide? Right, and, and you get a kick out of it because I fit test my wife. I promise not to do it twice with a respirator <laughs> or mask. What's her reaction to the mask with an air and smoke? Okay, so I'm going to mute myself and everyone get ready to watch this together. We'll watch this all together so that way we know what he's referring to. I think it's the it's the best way for us to um, understand everything else that is coming down the down the line in the show. Here we go. Thank you. Okay, let me start this again because it's muted by default. So let me start it again. Did I unmute it or no? Let's see. Yes. Here we go. To the uh, Petty Podcast. This is Stephen Petty, your host, and this is podcast number five. I call it the Holy Mask or the Great Gaps Sea. 
little bit of play on words. And what we're going to talk about today is a study that shows that even if the mass had some efficacy, that efficacy is lost if there's any gaps around the mask and at a very low level. So what I want to show you is, uh, um, and you've seen this in earlier podcasts, but if you wear a mask, you naturally have large gaps between the, below the eyes on either side of the nose. And also on the side, uh, usually you'll, your mask will crinkle up and it'll create some rectangular areas. Um, and I always ask people when they look at these pictures, I say, remember from the earlier podcast that uh, a, a, vi a Viron, a, a COVID particle, was on the order of a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. And do you think you could slip a human hair into those gaps? I think the answer is obvious. Um, again, the size of a human hair is represented by this blue or this white circle with a uh, black outline. The COVID particle is one tenth the size of that one micron red dot. So you've got <clears throat> um, COVID particles that are 40,000 times smaller than the cross-sectional area of uh, human hair in terms of area and about a thousand times smaller in terms of diameter than the cross-section of the human hair. There was um, some interesting work recently done by Drunik uh, looking at the efficacy of masks, but he was an honest broker. He also looked at, well, what happens if the masks don't seal? Because what you find in almost all these studies where they're trying to prove to you that masks work is that their, their masks are um, put on fixtures or uh, mannequins where they're perfectly sealed around the outsides. There's no leakage through between the skin, if you will, or the fixture and the edge of the mask. That's not reality in the real world. And Drunik makes the following comments that I think are um, right on. He says, surgical masks as well as cloth masks, quote unquote, never have a perfect fit on the face. I think you saw that with the mask that I just showed on my own face. Leaks between the mass material and the skin allow air to pass through without being filtered by the mass material. So you have a freeway, if you will, for the virons to pass. And this is the main reason why studies investigating the efficacies of masks under real-world conditions have significantly lower effectiveness um, than what you see in mass studies where they're perfectly sealed around the edges by sealing them against a mannequin or some sort of artificial fixture. And I want to show you some of the work from Drunik that really illustrates this in, in a very graphical way. Again, this is a, uh, a slide where um, he did some work where he looked at what happens if um, the mask isn't perfectly sealed. And the way he did it was a little differently. What he did was he took a perfectly sealed mask and he started opening holes in the mask to simulate gaps at anywhere from a half a percent of the total mask area to 2% of the mask area. That's across the bottom of this plot. And he looked at how, how does whatever efficacy you have drop uh, with the so increasing size of the hole, if you will, in terms of a percent area. And what you see with this uh, red horizontal line that I've drawn across the bottom is that for um, 
the, the solid lines are for 0.03 to 2.5 micron particles. Well, those would be the aerosols. You see that um, as you get down to 2% hole in the mask, that the efficacy of whatever efficiency it had, say it was 5% or 20% effective, we'll rate that now at 1% or 100%, and we'll see how much does that, whatever effectiveness it has, how does it drop from what it was as you start to put a hole in the mask. And at 2%, whatever efficiency that mask had is reduced by 75%. If you look at the left, that filtration efficacy is down to 0.25. So that means there's a reduction from, look at these as percentages, from 1 to 0.25 is, is 75% reduction. So this is a very interesting slide because what it says is that if you have any gaps in a mask at very low levels, as I say here, it kills whatever efficiency the mask had. Now, the question I asked myself was, well, it looks like these curves from 0.5% to 2% look pretty linear, the bottom two curves, where we're talking about surgical and cotton mask for low, small size particles. What if we project that out to the right? Where do we get where the mask has zero efficiency? Wouldn't that be interesting to know? So I did that. Same curve, but I just extend those lines, as you see to the right, out and extend the bottom axis. And lo and behold, what do we find? Well, that curve intersects the zero point, zero percent effectiveness of whatever effectiveness it had when you get to 3% open area on a cloth mask. So um, not only do the masks not have great efficacy to start with, but whatever efficacy they had goes to zero if you have any gaps. Thus, I call it the great gapsby, this podcast. So I thought, well, remember that picture we started with with me in a mask? I said, let's, let's see what the percent area versus the mask area is for the real world mask. And this is my Spirit Airlines mask, the infamous mask where I was told to wear this instead of a respirator. And uh, you can imagine I wasn't too happy about that. Well, if you look at the areas associated with uh, leaks on either side of the nose, you end up with about 14.6 centimeters, 5.6 centimeters. I appreciate the mask itself is about 165 centimeters. And then you've got some little triangular spaces on either side that result in about 0.9 centimeters. So if you look at all four leak areas, and that's all I'm counting here, they total to about 15 and a half centimeters squared. Well, that 15 and a half centimeters, as you see along the bottom, divided by the total mask area is about 9.35%. Now remember before that if you get to 3%, whatever efficiency that mask had before is zero. Well, I'm at three times that. So how efficient do you think that mask was? Zero. And remember, I always talked about, can you get a human hair past these gaps? Of course you can. And the Viron is a thousand times smaller. So this simply illustrates, based on real research, that these masks can't possibly work because the gaps alone, let alone the lack of efficiency through the mask, but the gaps alone around the outside because they cannot seal, um, lead to essentially zero effectiveness. And that's why 
remember from my very first presentations that even though PPE respirators is the least desirable um, method to protect people under the hierarchy controls, recall I always said, well, masks don't even fit within the hierarchy. Well, that's why, because you can't seal them. So the question gets asked all the time, well, why, why do masks get used by surgeons, et cetera? Um, well, the masks were always intended to stop the big guys, the droplets, not the aerosols or little guys. And they've been worn, uh, this is another study that I cite, they've been worn basically to stop um, staff and patients from getting blood bodily fluids, droplets, big droplets splashed on them, both the patient as well as the surgeon. And they write, however, there's, been, there's a lack of substantial evidence to support the claims that face masks protect either the patient or the surgeon from infectious contamination. In other words, the masks aren't to protect you from infectious diseases. They're protect you from the big globs of droplets, blood, etc. And while I don't expect you to read all of this, you can, you can go through and find study after study that shows that with respect to infectious disease transmission, there's no statistical difference between the infection rates of people wearing masks and not wearing masks. So masks do not work for non-droplet sized particles. That's the bottom line. Again, I always end my podcast with these uh, four, five points. Um, um, there's really the first four and then a recommendation as the fifth. Personal protective equipment is the least desirable way to protect people and masks aren't PPE. Again, as I've said throughout these podcasts, the COVID particles are aerosols, primarily aerosols, not droplets. Remember, 99.9%. And so you would need a respirator if you're going to wear PPE uh, to protect the lungs. And since these things are so small and dance around for days, up to days, the six-foot rule really is meaningless for aerosols. And these smaller particles are the ones that get into the deep lung and cause a havoc. So... What I've been advocating as an industrial hygienist over and over again is we should be using engineering controls, dilution, ventilation, and destruction. Again, appreciate you spending the time watching this podcast. Um, if you have any questions about anything I've said, have other articles to support or not support it, I'd be glad to look at them. Feel free to write with your questions. Thanks for watching this. Have a great day. So how incredible was that podcast, right, guys? We I, we actually, I aired this on my show, I think a couple weeks ago, um, and a portion of another. This is his channel. It's called Petty Podcasts. Uh, you can sign up on Rumble. It's free to sign up. Uh, you know, YouTube disallows uh, such information. I'm surprised that I'm still streaming on Facebook right now. <laughs> um, Mr. Petty, I, uh, from what I gather, YouTube did not like your videos. Am I correct? Well, they, they, uh, struck to that one, the, the, uh, the Holy mass because I received tens of thousands of views in the first week and they called it medical misinformation. And I wrote back and explained to them that I'm not a doctor and this has nothing to do with medicine. This has to do with exposure and exposure control. But whoever the fellows were in the basement, they they didn't agree with me. So, well, that's how it goes. But um, you know, so I, I I moved over to Rumble. Just but it's harder for people to find us over there. But it, there's there's six over six videos on masks alone over there now, including there's four. They're a little long and they're probably a little boring. 
maybe not, but I went through the 11 studies that CDC uses to support masks and basically showed that the statements that they make are not supported by the documents they cite. And they well, yeah, the, the documents that they cite don't support it. And I wanted to touch on a few things. I also have, uh, again, the document back up so we can all, you know, sit and, and go through it with you. But one thing that you mentioned in your video, and I've mentioned many times, because when I was in school and we were, I was um, shadowing on surgeries, participating, learning, and getting fitted for a respirator, right? And the 95 mask um, was exactly that. If you're in surgery, you don't want to spit, drool, cough, or sneeze on an open cavity of a human body that you're performing surgery on. And if you're entering in a room, you don't want them throwing up on you, spitting on you, squirting blood on you. Same goes for the patient. You don't want to accidentally sneeze. And this is why we have these masks that only control these droplets. But the argument that people are hearing are, well, there's droplets in the air and those have viruses. And then I'm thinking, okay, so the droplet is going to go up your nose. I'm confused. Um, and that's where distance is. Cause you know, yeah, a lot of people spit or cough without covering their mouth. Right. Yeah. What do you, how do you answer that response by saying, okay, yeah, but. Alrighty. Um, there, there's two, two ways that I, I argue with that. One is that um, very, only a small percentage of the droplets or the particles are droplets and those fall to the ground right away. Plus they're readily trapped by the mucus cilia tissue from your nose and mouth towards your upper part of your lungs. Um, and people at first were arguing, you know, CDC, I always, I have a slide in here somewhere where, you know, the first thing you heard from CDC was uh, surfaces, surfaces, surfaces. That is, um, we, we have to watch out for surfaces because uh, that's where the problem lies. It's on 36. I don't know if you can scroll to yes. that. And I apologize I, to the audience for bouncing around. That's fine. No, it's, it's, it's um, part of the conversation, but it's good to have the visuals too. So this there is- There we go. There we go. Um, and everybody I think remembers surfaces, surfaces, surfaces. And, and while I'm not here to say that it's not good to keep surfaces clean, uh, in my opinion, that was never the issue. And then they started talking about droplets. I, in some ways, I think this was uh, intentional because droplets can be stopped by masks, but they're not the issue. Now, since I've been writing publicly a lot since about May, you're starting to see CDC and OSHA change a lot of their language. They, they say wear masks, but then they later on, they say use engineering controls and things like that. So they, they force you to read deep into the documents to get the truth. My argument has been that it's always been about aerosols. And the reason that that is, is if I could draw your attention to 40, if you would. 40, let me head down that way. And I, I will promise to be quick. No, was, don't be quick, take your time. I'm taking was, notes. There was a study by Edwards earlier this year in which he uh, measured emissions breathing emissions by particle size from green monkeys. And the reason we use monkeys is until the recent vaccination thing, we weren't allowed to experiment on humans since about the Second World War. So he, he looked at infecting uh, green monkeys with COVID and then measuring their aerosol emissions. It, it, the charts were complicated, they were in log charts, but the bottom line is that he measured 
aerosols from five microns down to 0.3, and he only measured droplets at 10 microns. So I took all that data and made it easy for the reader, if you go to the next page, and I looked at um, what was the total particles, um, both in terms of aerosols and droplets. And um, the reason there's a negative number there is he first measured them a day before he made them sick. So zero is, is where they're infected, the monkeys are infected. But you'll see on the aerosols plot on the top there, the blue line, that initially the particulate emissions for aerosols, the little guys, less five microns or less, was around 10,000. As they get sick, their emissions are higher, up, upwards of over 20, 24,000. And then as they get better, the emissions drop. But the interesting thing is the droplets never get off the, the bottom axis. So if we go to the next page where I actually put numbers together, so what you're saying is that the droplets didn't do anything. The droplets. Well, there aren't very many. So right. look, look here, the, the, these are the actual counts of aerosols and droplets and then the percent that are aerosols. The, the aerosols measure between almost 11,000 and 23,000. The droplets are no, never over 10. So in that study, over 99.9% .9 of the particles are aerosols. So this is why I say that the CDC is a little dishonest when they call, when they talk about, well, masks can stop droplets. Well, I don't really care about droplets. There are a small percentage of things, and it's the little guys that get away. And and I've got some other work that I want to have the audience look at about how long. Mr. Brady, wait, wait, hold on a second. So what you're saying is, aerosol, uh, the aerosols that can go through the mask are in abundance. And, and then the droplets, on. yeah, and, and around the mask and through the mask. But yeah. but the droplets that supposedly the mask stop were not even barely there. Like you didn't see more than right. no there, more than 10. That's that, there, that makes no sense. There's two factors. One, yeah, and there's been there's been many people. I've in another presentation, I've got a uh, a letter that went to the White House and Fauci in uh, earlier this year saying, look, you got to clean up your language because you're conflating droplets and aerosols. And this looks to be an aerosol problem. And they're parroting exactly what I'm showing here. Um, so in answer to your first question, the, the issue about droplets is, first of all, they're a small percentage of the problem. And the next couple of slides I'll show is that they really drop to the ground pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if you want to go to that. That's a really powerful Go past this one again, if you would, Tori. And what I want you to go to is the one where there's two people standing in a room. It's 46. This one? Yeah. So one of the questions I ask myself is, let's, let's just make a theoretical calculation using a thing called Stokes' Law that's used in industrial hygiene and engineering on figure out, based on the size of a particle, how long would it take to fall five feet? which is kind of from people's breathing zone down to the floor. So go to the next page. So the, the Stokes law formulation is just related to the specific gravity and the diameter of the particles. So we can go on. We don't, people don't need to, if they don't believe me, they can go check that reference. So the first set of questions or the first answers I did is I said, let's look at droplets. How long would it take to fall five feet? And let's look at particle sizes from 10, 25, and 100 microns. So let's 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 put that in relative size, like hair, smoke particle, grain. Yeah, so, so 
remember I said that um, uh, uh, the thickness of a sheet of paper is 100 microns, and the smallest you can see is 50. So these are 10 microns is still small, but it's 10 microns is twice the size of a typical asbestos particle, which is five microns. But anyway, the point to be made here is that the time to fall uh, five feet ranges from a tenth of a minute, a few seconds, to um, 10 minutes. So a little bit of time, but on the order of minutes at most. Now let's go to the aerosols, the next page. This is stunning. Um, once you get a chance to look at it, if we look at COVID, which I'm saying is around 0.1, but I, I said, okay, we'll look all the way up to five microns. The time to fall five feet here, and this units are not hours, they're days. The time to fall is somewhere approaching from one micron a day to the COVID particles being as long as 50 days. And that's assuming still air. If we stir the air up, everybody knows stuff stays suspended longer. So when I, when I see this six foot rule, first of all, it's not really based in science, but I won't go there for a while. But I always looked at those dots in stores and I start calling them the dummy dots because only a dummy would believe that these aerosols that can sit in the air for 50 days are gonna stay six feet, only move six feet. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Or, or I've noticed that Walmart has now removed the dummy dots. So I'm happy about that. Now there, you know, so anyway, this, this is a very powerful slide. So there, there's two answers about droplets. First of all, there's not, a, there's not nearly as many of them. They're not, they don't cause the same degree of infection because they can't get as deep into the lungs as aerosols. And they tend to fall down pretty quick. Whereas these aerosols hang around. I always say to people, look, if you're in aisle four in a store and somebody's been sick five days ago and the ventilation's poor in that store and you go walking in there and stir these things up, you have, you're gonna walk right through them and you have no idea. And we don't have badges we can put on people to monitor when they're running into a COVID cloud. So, my answer is there's only really one solution. You either got to dilute them out to get the concentration down or you got to destroy them. Um, wearing a mask through that cloud is not going to help you. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I get this argument from attorneys a lot, which is, are you saying, Mr. Petty, that these uh, masks do zero good? And I use this parable all the time and it, it's effective. Um, I said, assume that you have a mathematician and engineer in a room and the moderator has them look at the far wall and they says, okay, have the distance to the wall, walk halfway to the wall and then walk halfway again and halfway again and walk halfway forever. And then he asked the question to both, do you get to the wall? And the mathematician says, theoretically, no. And the engineer says, yep, close enough. And that's my answer. It may not be zero, but it's damn close. So, so basically, for a mask. Yeah, no, no, no. So basically, uh, your the Walmart example. I go and pick up some milk. I walk in, and there was a guy that had COVID there ten days ago, twenty days ago, and I'm wearing a mask. I can still get COVID hypothetically, if the circulation is bad, if they don't have good circulation and a good HVAC system and the air isn't being turned over, I get COVID because it gets to sit there in still air for at least 60 days. The only criticism or questions I've had in that subject is how long can the COVID stay alive in the air? 
And the literature I've looked at quickly says one to seven days. But then I also, I always go back to people and say, well, you're going to get the COVID from the air. So it's got to be alive for some amount of time. So um, it may not be that it can live 50 days, but they suspended that long. That would be the only caveat to that statement. Okay. The suspension in regards to size, density of air. Hey, that, that is, that is actually quite fascinating as, as someone that understand now I get it in regards to density. Cause I was like, viruses can't stay even in water droplets in the air for more than 24, 48 hours max. I mean, they've got to be supersonic. Um, I do, Tori, I do get once in a while, I'll get somebody on the uh, podcast that wants to be a critic and they'll say, well, Mr. Petty, you know, that the COVID particles aren't 0.1, they're 0.2 or whatever than, you know, some different number. And I just respond by saying, my friend, you're arguing about arranging the deck chairs on the Titanic and looking for the iceberg. And, <laughs> and uh, I said, so it's 0.1 or it's 0.2. I mean, we're talking days here. Yeah. So, so it's like, no, my name's John, not Johnny, right? Or <laughs> so I have, I have that, the only reason I bring that up is you, the, the audience may get that comment back and, and there's a good that's response. how you can it doesn't matter anything 0.5 let's pretend it's that big it'll still be up. Yeah, if, if you go to uh, american site of heating refrigeration air conditioning engineers they have a chart in a in the fundamentals manual that shows the sizes of various types of particles bacteria virus etc and they start at 0.1 and get smaller so you know i've heard this argument that well the the particles are covered with liquid so that makes them a lot bigger and I'm like, okay, I'll give you 10 times bigger. There's still a day to settle, you know? So, and, and the, the, so, you know, it's like I said before, people want to argue with you, but the bottom line is these things stay suspended for a long time. We've had a, a, a real battle getting CDC to admit that what we're talking about here is aerosols, not droplets. And they're coming around because most of the scientists believe that because it's true. And um, it, it wipes out their mask argument a little bit because masks can stop droplets, but that's not the issue. The issue is aerosols. You know, uh, when I, I, I have to agree that the scientists know better. I even think Dr. Fauci at some point when he was talking about masks, he was hesitant. He was like, uh, I don't think we need masks. But then it seems like everyone's like, just say it and everyone will believe it. Let's just get them to wear masks. And then suddenly he changed it from one to two. And I'm thinking the CDC itself has its own industrial hygiene arm. Like, where are these dudes? Well, here's my opinion about that. And it's just an opinion. Um, if you go to slide 15. Okay, slide 15. I'm jumping you around. No, no, not at all. And I'm going to make it bigger. They don't need to look at us. They need to look at the slide. Because I I need people to be able to zoom in. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So I pull this right. And and the audience can almost every time I have a document at the bottom, you'll see the link. So you can go get it yourself. But this is an interesting uh document from cdc first they say well wear a mask but then they have this little document and i just pulled out part of it and blew it up and and put some red circles around and i called it mask versus respirators and it says on the mask do not 
capitalize, provide the wearer with a reliable level of protection from inhaling smaller airborne particles, i.e. aerosols. It is not considered respiratory protection, not PPE, right? Leakage occurs around the edge of the mask when user inhales. What I think an exhale when it does too, but they acknowledge that the mask leak, and we've talked about that. A respirator filters out 95% of airborne particles, including large and small ones, and minimum leakage occurs around the edges. Um, and so here's my opinion on that. I think that the public health agencies, the scientists, have been neutered by sort of on a knife edge between the politicals and the science. And they're, they're trying to satisfy um, a couple of masters. Because when you see stuff like this, this is pretty, pretty honest about the situation. And yet they'll say on page one, wear a mask. So it's a little, I think it's a little dishonest, but you only have to go a little deeper into the documents and they always tell you that masks really don't help you against the little guys and they leak. Right. So um, I think the majority of these, because you updated them after I filed my suit, right? Um, yeah. uh, this slide, which I'll have with me armed and ready tomorrow. Um, no, this is the exhibit uh, III or three. I thought that you had updated. Oh, that was another document. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, yeah. No, this, one, this one is, is there and this will be very helpful. This was in my lawsuit. But the, the, the question, because I know that they're going to cite the CDC, cite it. It's incredible to see that they politicized masks. They politicized health in general. And this is quite concerning because when it does come to the point that we have actual health risks that we can mitigate, uh, I mean, how do we trust if the... Well, I, I think it was the politicals that wanted something quick and dirty. And I'll be candid with you. I think that the people pushing masks were stunned that people complied so easily. That That's the thing that I think stunned even them. Um, that's just my opinion. I wanted to drag you one slide earlier on 14 to, to show you what OSHA says. And they say the same things. You gotta go, um, what's dishonest about OSHA a little bit, I call it dishonest, is that on page one, they say wear masks, but you go to page six and they have this interesting little sentence. Surgical masks are not respirators. We're talking about surgical, not just regular masks, and do not provide the same level of protection to workers as properly fitted respirators. Cloth face coverings are also not acceptable substitutes for respirators. Um, this is tacit admission that masks don't work. But you can see, I mean, I don't know what's in their brains, but when you read page one where we recommend a mask, they don't say require, which is interesting terminology. And then if you dig into the document, you see this language, you kind of wonder about what the scientists think you get the impression that they're being twisted a little bit. So this kind of looks like double speak. They say one thing, but then they're the discounting it later with actual factual information. Right. The and science. So, yeah, they, they actually give you the science, but they're counting on the fact somebody is, you don't read the whole document. Well, people don't, I mean, they don't even read articles anymore. They'll see a nice fancy title and a picture and they'll just share it. And nobody actually reads article anymore because we're in an era where people just want instant gratification, instant notification. They've been conditioned like that from Twitter, which says 140 characters and that's it. And you need to put your message out. And 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 I find that uh, the reason as to why we're in this position anyway, because no one 
really pays attention anymore. Uh, yeah. They just they, they just want to be spoon fed, you know, the headline, the elevator pitch. And so so the masks don't work. Like what else can someone show someone aside from particle size, gapping, you know, respirators, uh, you know, because what I wanted to do was us to go to a quick break before we come back and talk about how masks cause harm. Yeah, I, um, you know what I I I tend to find when I've given the I've given ten at least ten public presentations to various groups around the country, and the the slides or the graphics that seem to really get the who and the ahs are to ask people if they can slip a human hair by your mask. I don't know anybody that can deny that. And for a lot of men who are wearing facial hair, they obviously can. Um, yeah, well, sometimes their beards are coming through the mask too. That's what's funny. You see it poke through. Oh yeah, and and you can imagine that if the virus is at 40,000 times smaller than diameter and 40,000 times smaller in area, it's like a super freeway. If you can get a hair by there, you certainly can get something a thousand times smaller by there. So that's a very power, you need something that's very powerful. I, I have a podcast called The Art of Persuasion, and I know you got a break. And the reason I put it up is at one point I was trained in uh, behavioral marketing. And there are three ways to persuade people, um, emotional appeal, propaganda, repeated message, and then logic in that order of effectiveness. And I was very upset about that as a young scientist. But here's, I use the mask as an example of what we're against. People say, wear a mask because it protects the emotional argument. It protects your fellow citizens. Very powerful argument, frankly. Then they use the propaganda, mass, mass, mass. You all you hear is mask. And then we say mass doesn't work, logic, least effective. So what we have to do is come up with emotional arguments based on logic that work. Because believe me, the people pushing the masks are full in on emotional appeal, as they are for vaccines. And they understand the art of persuasion. And I think most of the public doesn't. And so I've been trying to open everyone's eyes up to that fact as well, because we have to have emotionally effective arguments to fight against these folks. Okay, so Mr. Petty, we've now substantiated how these masks are not effective against COVID. Aside from the simple things like read the CDC web pages where they tell you it, read the back of the box or the package that you buy your mask that clearly state not effective in preventing COVID-19 and you've developed it and proved it by testing it and showing numbers and graphs and others have done it too. So what I wanna do is we're gonna take a quick break and then I found that video you were referring to. And I think we should start the next segment with playing that video so people can understand why people have been wearing masks and how effective it is. And then we can delve into the science of how bad for our health they actually are. And um, today actually I can share a story of someone that is feeling those effects in a hospital right now so that we can understand um, just what's going on. So guys, here's a quick break. Get your coffee cups filled, wine glasses, whatever your choice of poison is for tonight. And um, we'll be right back. When you were here before I couldn't look you in the eyes You're just like an angel 
Sophia, I'll share the link in Telegram, just like I will share the link for the actual uh, um, PowerPoint presentation that we've been using uh, with um, Mr. Petty here today while we're having these discussions. So before we start this next segment, I wanted to play, and I think we've played it on the Tory Says Show already, that video about persuasion and how the art of persuasion works. And he breaks it down in five minutes. It's pretty awesome. Take a listen. Okay, doesn't wanna take a listen. Let's see. <laughs> there we go. 
I believe. There we go. Yes, there we are. It's for the Petty Podcast. We're going to have uh, a topic tonight that's uh, really of interest to me personally. Uh, it's it's a topic that uh, is important not only to, in the COVID area, but it's important in general life in terms of how people try to persuade you and how you can persuade others. Uh, I was blessed enough to have an MBA one time and, and taught the art of persuasion. And I thought I would share with you some of the things that I learned as part of uh, that formal training. Recall that I, uh, I uh, may have spoken in the past about the triangle for hierarchy of controls, but there's another triangle for how you persuade people. And this triangle I've shown in graphical form, it's another inverted pyramid with the most effective ways to persuade people on the top and the least effective ways on the bottom. The, the most effective way to um, get people to move in your direction is with an emotional appeal, and we'll give examples of that in a second. The next most effective way is what we call propaganda. It has a negative connotation, but it really simply means repeated message. Say the same thing over and over again, and people will believe you. And the least effective way is logic. Uh, unfortunately to me as a scientist, a young scientist, I found that uh, to be very disturbing. But the fact of the matter is it's the least effective way to persuade people. So let's talk about some examples. The most effective way, as I mentioned earlier, is emotional appeal. So in the area of, for instance, COVID and wearing a mask, the uh, approach that's being used by public health officials, including CDC and others, is to say, wear a mask to protect others, get the vaccine so you can protect others, see your grandchildren, et cetera. Very effective. Um, and, and unfortunately, in many cases, it's very effective because you can use emotional appeal to persuade people to do things that may not be the, the best. In other words, we've talked at length in these podcasts that rather than wearing a mask, it would be much more effective if you either had ventilation or you used destruction technologies. Instead, we're facing a mask. And the reason it's working is because it's a, it, in, from an emotionalist appeal standpoint, it's very effective. Next effective, uh, most effective way to persuade people is propaganda repeated message. How many times have you heard mask, 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 wear a mask? You can take almost any topic where it's been people have persuaded you and think about it, and you'll realize that the message has been repeated to you over and over and over again, and it works. And, of course, the least effective way is logic. And uh, like I said before, for a scientist, we're sort of disappointed by that, but if you tell people masks don't work, that's not going to work nearly as well as wear a mask because you can protect your fellow citizens. Whether that's true or not, we can debate, but it is an effective way to communicate. So here they all are in one place, and I've used basically the hierarchy of uh, the art of persuasion for most effective to least effective and used masks simply as an example. Again, emotional appeal being the most effective, propaganda the next most effective, and the least effective is logic. Remember that we must, in order to persuade people to use effective methods to protect them from exposure, use things that emotionally will appeal to them. 
For example, I've talked in earlier podcasts that COVID aerosols are about 4,000 times smaller in area and 1,000 times smaller in diameter than human hair. People can visualize that. They get it. When you ask them, can you slip a human hair past the side of your mask? The answer, of course, is yes. And the little guys here are 4,000 times smaller in area and 1,000 times smaller in diameter. So, of course, they're going to get by that mask. The other thing is you cannot uh, seal a mask. So, it is a challenge in order to get people to understand the logic in an emotionally effective way, but it can be done. Again, we have to remind people, dilution, ventilation, destruction. Those are the things that will actually lower people's exposures much more so than a mask. And we need to persuade people with emotionally effective arguments on the issue of dilution, ventilation, and destruction. Again, appreciate you watching this podcast, a little different topic. But as you think about your everyday life and how people persuade you or you're persuaded, think about this hierarchy of controls with respect to persuasion, emotional appeal, propaganda, or repeated message, and logic. Appreciate you watching this podcast. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much. So we all watched this uh, specific video a while back. And now all of us are like this puppy sitting in flames saying, no, this is fine. This is totally fine. You know, we've just been convinced to wear masks that don't work. Uh, you know, this is totally fine. But the thing is what the masks are doing. Now, last night I had a phone call for, from uh, someone that I consider family. I've had um, another phone call from someone else who is not by blood, but they're definitely my family, all asking me about the same thing, which is, oh my gosh, someone just went into the hospital with an ammonia. They're giving them treatment for that. And then a couple days later, they're telling them, oh no, it's COVID let's ventilate you while they're breathing just fine. And what they noticed was, and one lady, she's a, she's a listener. Her husband reached out and I know April from Florida has been working um, and is working um, with them trying to help. She said to me on the phone today, as I was talking to her that the doctors keep telling her her oxygen is too low. And but she's being forced to wear a very tight mask and can't breathe. So she has difficulty breathing because she has an infection and they have put a mask on her face. She says they won't even allow me to take it off to eat. It's put one bite in my mouth, cover my face. And April, when she called her to reach out to find a doctor, because they won't even let her leave. It's like these hospitals have turned into prisons, which is crazy. You can always walk away. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't walk out of a hospital. The minute you feel uncomfortable, that is your right. You have rights. Don't let anyone shackle your mind with some idea that you're not, you can walk out naked if you want to right? With your butt, getting all the air from the gown, you have every right to walk out. No one can hold you there against your will. But this woman is terrified because they're telling her, you're going to drop dead in the hallway and we won't help you. But what she noticed was is when she's not wearing her mask, her oxygen is good. When she puts on her mask, it's down to 80%. And she doesn't want to wear the mask. I mean, if I told her, hey, if I was there and I'm having problems breathing with the mask, I would take it off and say, make me. And she said, they actually do. And when April was speaking to her, she heard them forcing her to wear the mask. And that was shocking. And now all of us here, 
including myself, right? Have children um, and uh, you're at work too that are being forced to wear masks. And now for little kids, we're talking five years old to even 17. I mean, come on, do you remember how you were a kid? You'd have snot, you'd be eating it and not even realize it's on your face. Your mom would be wiping your face. Your teacher would be like making hurling sounds because the snot is coming out and you're just not feeling it because you're a kid. Imagine in that mask how dirty it is, first of all, when you're a little kid. They're not even wearing it properly, right? This is a big problem. But on top of that, it's the oxygen that you're not allowed to have. When my daughter started school, she she did the, I said, have a great day, first day at school. And she goes, she just gives me the peace sign and says, oxygen 2020, hashtag oxygen 2020. And I was like, it's 2021. She's like, oh, I thought it was just 15 days to flatten the curve. We're already in the next year. So that was kind of funny, but kind of sad at the same time. Because considering from what I heard from April and what I heard um, from the patient um, herself, from Annette, and I hope all of us are praying for her, this is ridiculous. So I thought, Mr. Petty, because aside from the fact that masks don't work and nobody wants to listen to that science, right? It's logic. And it's fact. We need to talk about the science behind what the masks actually do to people. So you're going to have to unmute your own microphone. I can't do that. Um, so I'd like you to kind of enlighten us on masks and breathing and exactly what they do to us. Yeah, and I'll, I'll uh, answer your question two ways. One, I'll, I'll answer in the areas where I uh, have expertise, and then I'm going to refer people to slides 27 and 28 on a very recent paper that's going to be excellent to answer those questions. Um, I did a podcast on, um, there were some parents in Florida that, that took masks and had them sampled for mold and bacteria, and the results came back pretty high. And, and I noticed the fact checker, um, said it was false because he says people only breathe out. And I said, well, that's interesting. I think they breathe in too. But uh, the other thing it was an MD. The other thing they he said was, well, you don't generate um, mold and bacteria inside your your body and all. And I, I I wrote a whole podcast on this because I've I've testified on mold uh, and done many uh, tests in the field on bacteria, sampling for them, and. Just so the audience understands, if you if you look at a surface almost anywhere and you don't see visible mold, usually it's like on the order of less than ten thousand spores per square inch. So there's mold there, but you, it's very low. It's it still sounds like a big number, but it's it's there, but small. When it amplifies, and we use the word amplification because when you can see it, the levels are over a million. So it doesn't go from 10,000 to 12,000 or 10,000 to 20,000. It goes from 10,000 or less than 10,000 to over a million. The problem is that the mask is a perfect environment, as I show in the podcast, in terms of humidity and moisture for the amplification of mold and bacteria. So the issue isn't whether you create it or not. You'll have some amount. The issue is that you created a perfect environment to grow it on your mask. And now you're gonna breathe it back in at relatively high levels. So that's not good. Um, they say, well, you're supposed to wear your wash your mask every day. Well, I, I haven't seen any studies on that, but I'd put money on it, that doesn't happen very much. Um, so that's, that's not a practical answer. And the other thing is when you wash mask, something like 30 times, it kills the effectiveness even further of the mask. 
it opens up holes in the mask. The other issue is we know from personal protective equipment that when you wear a respirator or anything that, that blocks your breathing, that it, that's why you have to have a medical clearance to wear a respirator because some people can't because of the effect it has on, on their lungs and their ability to breathe. You mean like when we get fitted for that, like at the hospital, right. I remember that they fitted me, even though I was, there was Good Samaritan and Chandler that I was working at and studying at, and they had to fit me for each hospital. Even right. You're, you're supposed to go through a pulmonary function test or some sort of test to ensure that you don't have some condition that doesn't allow you to wear a respirator because they, they do, they do, you're going to, by, by wearing a respirator, you're restricting your ability to, to breathe. And a mask has that same effect to a lesser degree. But if you clog it up with uh, saliva and moisture and whatnot, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be harder to breathe as well. You do have the gaps. But the, the problem is when you, when you uh, have to work harder to breathe, it's going to raise your blood pressure and, and increase your pulse because your body wants that oxygen. And um, that's not rocket science. That's pretty well established. And so we're talking about the masks that are fitted, like the N95s that they, you know, put up against our face that are tight fitted yeah. and they're molded to your size. Um, you know, when you get your PPE, you go through your PFT, the pulmonary function test, and then they fit it to be the right size too. So that has to happen in order to prevent you uh, getting sick from any virons or any other biohazards that may be emerging during your time at a hospital or in an area that there may be biohazards um, that you may not expect. So how are, so obviously they understand that restricting air and the way you breathe is a problem and they go through all these motions. I had to go through two of them because I was working at two different hospitals under the same flag. So now we have children and random adults that are wearing either scarves over their face, one mask. I see people sometimes with cloth masks, they have like two or three on and I'm like, what? So walk us through, you know, the non-fit, what that, yeah, there's there's a very recent paper out by Kizolinski and others. Uh, in fact, it just came out last week, and the, the reference is at the bottom. I just put that as a citation. And there's a table at the end. I won't go through it all. But he looked at over a 1,000 papers on the effects of masks on people and what the negative effects were. And he distilled it down to about um, 70 papers or so where there was quantitation. And if you go to the next one, Tori, um, this may be a little small for the audience to see, but I'll, I'll make it bigger. These are all these are all the symptoms that this paper claims are negative or adverse effects for wearing a mask. I think it's very powerful. Um, now you can go into the paper and read why he, this list is here, but it's it's better for the audience just to see the, the net result. These are all the sorts of problems that have been associated with wearing masks. On the dermatological side, you see acne and that uh, topic uh, disease. You there's psychological uh, illnesses. There's uh, internal diseases, COPD, apnea, uh, etc. So um, on the pediatric side, you see asthma, respiratory disease, uh, cardiopulmonary disease. That's what we talked about: uh, increasing the stress on the heart, uh, neuromuscular, and then epilepsy. So um, there is a there is a lot of literature out there and it's a huge topic to cover, but I like this paper because it kind of is a meta study and that it, it's very recent 
It only looks at quantitative studies. It looked at a whole over a thousand studies, but it only drew conclusions on one where there was actual data that they could quantitate. So, so this was actually published in a peer-reviewed journal of yeah. public health just recently. Yeah, so, I, added it, I added it last week. Right. So this is this is pretty interesting. I mean, these are all the adverse effects that can happen to children. Well, it it it's to people in general, but obviously, um, it would people include children. So yes, that is that that's just it, it it's it it boggles my mind how people still continue it. I mean, for me, wearing masks in school is difficult for the younger children because that's where they're learning how to speak and um, make sounds, vowels correctly. What about foreign language? They can't see somebody's mouth. So that's out the window. Um, but we're actually putting them at risk. And like you said, it's an after study, meaning we're already doing it. And now we're looking at the effects. And yeah. this is how science works. Yeah, if I could drag you back to, to expand on your statement, if you go back to slide six, I know it's way back. We, this was a school in Westerville, Ohio called Oakstone Academy. It's about 900 students, primarily autistic, special needs school. And in August of 2020, we implemented engineering controls because the teacher, the, the Dr. Morrison, who owns and runs the school, uh, refused to let the kids wear masks because it really affected, especially autistic children, their ability to learn because they really read facial ex expressions. And what's what's great, these pod, I, I did a um, interview along with her back in May. And so I put the links here because a lot of people, they get tired of listening to scientists like me, but it, there's very few interviews out there from from somebody who runs a school who actually implemented engineering controls. And to my knowledge, we only had one or two cases of COVID and we think they were brought in. Um, I know that the day before school started, the teachers were really petrified and I got a call like at midnight, would I come in at nine and talk to the teachers? And I did, I talked for 10 minutes and then I just took questions for the next hour. And, and I think with the exception of maybe one or two out of the 250 teachers, they were really felt a lot better about things. But this is a the reason I bring this up is this was a school where Mass she she fought the state in 2020. This was early on that they were not going to wear masks, and she had to fight her own teachers and then parents as well as the state of Ohio uh, uh, school authorities. Now she did one amazing thing was that the school authorities said, well. Um, we want your expert to come in and and have a discussion with our expert. And she said, fine, as long as they're a CIA certified industrial hygienist. Because we don't want Steve to have to come in and talk to a doctor or to uh, political or whatever. It never happened. So there's a trick as well, is make sure if they want to have an argument of the experts that you don't set yourself up where they bring somebody that has no expertise. But the bottom line here that, is that's that, actually an argument that people should be using all the time. And I know that I'll be using it tomorrow in court that, yeah. you know, the governor doesn't count. An administrator of the CDC doesn't count. A doctor doesn't count. A nurse doesn't count. They need to bring an industrial hygienist. That we're, is an ex subject expert matter. Yeah, because we're exposure, exposure control experts. 
Um, and so I, I just put this up because it, it turned out that for some reason they took Dr. Morrison's portion of the, the talk down. Now they're a little bit longer, an hour each, but it's fascinating to hear her talk because she runs a school, a special needs school. And uh, so I got the individual who did this interview to put it up on Rumble. And so I, I got a link that works. So if somebody wants to listen to somebody that actually implemented this stuff a year ago, it's, it's a fascinating uh, interview. So you're saying that they took this link down because it's not allowed to be up because it actually demonstrates real, well, you're not saying it, I'm saying it because it demonstrates real science. So now we have a link that actually works. Yeah, so they didn't take mine down, which was yeah. kind of fascinating. But um, um, nevertheless, the point to be made here is that we actually implemented some of the things I'm talking about a year ago when it was really crazy. Well, that's getting crazy again. But, uh, and we had great success and, uh, and, uh, no masks. And that's that's incredible because children, even if they don't have disabilities, um, you know, they they listen they and they observe in order to learn. So for the younger age, having to wear masks, it causes them to struggle and their learning is delayed. Now, now going back. The thing in this school is there's about 600 autistic children, but there's 300 non-autistic children. So it's a mixed high school. And it's, it's a... It's a very interesting case study, and it's, it's got national recognition for what they're trying to do with respect to teaching. Um, but it's great to listen to Dr. Morrison. So I just bring that up because everybody says, well, how do you know what you're talking about will work? And I said, well, we've actually done it at least once. I mean, and, and, and what's more important is you can listen to a, a school person who had to deal with all the, the back and forth that, that you want to have to deal with to get rid of masks. Well, I'm, I'm actually very proud because, you know, the Ohio um, Federation of Teachers and these teachers unions are the ones that are pushing this. Uh, they're actually bound by their collective bargaining, bargaining agreements to promote the things that their unions say. And that's a big deal, too, because I think uh, it's, it's just been highly politicized and we don't we don't have a say as parents. Well, they say that we don't have a say. We definitely have a say. I think they've just shackled people's minds to believe that they are the ultimate authority. But so we have masks don't work. Here is an option that does work. Get some great engineering controls in, and that will be an investment in your school to carry you on for any further um, you know, issues that may pop up, correct? Because it will be continual. Correct. And I want to give your audience one more paper that came out last week when I first saw it that shows masks don't work. And that's on 32 and 33. Let's take a look. 32 and 33. Okay. This is 32. Let me zoom out just yeah, a bit. This is just, this is just the paper by Shaw. Actually, before we get there, go up one above. I the, the audience will get a big kick out of this one. You know, there's this movement. Well, okay, let's not use masks. Let's use N95s. Some may have heard of that out there in the audience. And so I thought, well, this will be interesting. I just bought a box of 3M, major manufacturer of N95s. And this is the paperwork that was in it. Do not use for aerosols or asbestos. Now, appreciate that on average, an asbestos particle is 5 microns. The code is 0.1, um, you know upwards of 50 times larger. So can't use it for asbestos, but maybe we can for the little guy. But the interesting thing is biological part. Wait, 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 let's not let that one sneak by. So you're saying, they're saying do not use it for asbestos. It's 
five right. times bigger than COVID. Yeah. And yet, 50, 50 times bigger. 50 times. Whoa, did you guys hear that? So you can't use it for asbestos. It's 50 times bigger than a COVID particle, but they're pushing for the N95 for COVID. That makes total. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing they say is for biological particles, and you can read the whole thing here, but it says cannot eliminate the risk of contracting infection, illness, or disease. So they're not recommending it to stop infectious diseases. And I write at the bottom, well, if an N95 can't do it, and it at least has some potential to seal, it's an actual respirator, albeit a bottom of the barrel respirator. Um, how in the world can a mask do that? That That is, so is common sense like just canceled? No. I, I think it's just been canceled. People just need to be armed with stuff like this so they can go out and, and make these arguments. And, and that's what I'm trying to do is give people information they can make these arguments. Uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of parents across the nation bring information like this to the table, to their school boards that still insist that masks work. Yeah, no matter well, how much information you give them, they look the other way and just don't care. Obviously, they're financially incentivized because they get paid to implement these under the ARP and ESSER funds. But isn't it, this is why we're having issues, that they've politicized health. Well, they've used they've used emotional appeal and propaganda, and and frankly, our public health agencies have have participated in that. Um, but the next the next two slides down are brand new work by Shaw. Remember, I, I cited the IHA that said you had to have something that was ninety percent effective. So Correct. work came out uh, a week or two ago, um, as far as when I actually saw it but it, it says July 21st, it went online, but it, it's pretty recent. And um, go to the next page, please. So what did they find? Um, cloth masks um, were 10% effective and surgical masks 12. A long ways from 90%, remember that 90% level? Yes. Now, and these studies were not conservative. Why do I say that? They used one micron particle, so 10 times bigger than COVID which almost everybody understands that it's easier to separate out bigger particles and literal particles. And they used a sealed mask with no gaps. And the audience has seen my infamous Holy Mask podcast. So, you know, this is consistent with the AIHA saying five to 10%. This is a very sophisticated, uh, well-run study showing that the material itself is no more than 10 to 12% effective assuming larger particles and assuming no gaps. But the key point is nobody wants a solution where 90% of the people get sick. If, if our goal is re risk reduction and we say our goal is getting COVID, well, we want a 90, we, whatever we try, we want, we want at least 90% of the people not to get it. Well, this says just the opposite. 90% of the people will get it with an ideal situation, sealed mask, big particles. So very so, powerful study. So there's more science behind that, that engineering controls are better, as it says. Well, yeah, and Shaw even concludes here, I put that in, this is in his paper, that use ventilation, he says two air changes an hour, but I, I think AIHA is recommending four and a half or more. I tend to agree with the AIHA based on doing this for 40 years. But um, 
note that they use the term aerosol as well. You're not, you're seeing this slow transition from the public health agencies, from the droplet to the word aerosol. And then sometimes they blur it. Um, but remember the, the, cut, the cutoff um, in science is five microns. Five microns or less is aerosols and five, bigger than five microns is droplets. So I call them the big guys and the little guys. Aerosols are the little guys. And everybody, you see the science coming out now. Now this was what we talked about before. And I think it's a great slide. There's only one, of course it'd be easy for me to say that because I'm a scientist. It may not be so great for your audience, but there's, there was, uh, I'll tell you an interesting story. Daniel Horowitz called me and he said, you know, I hear rumor that, that uh, the government's gonna turn OSHA into a regulatory body to go enforce mask wearing. And I said, well, there's two problems, Daniel, with that. And he said, what's that? I said, first of all, they don't have a standard to, to prove that you've violated anything. The only standard that exists is the respiratory protection standard and masks don't meet any of the major criteria as I showed here. But I said, here's the other problem. I was doing um, projects in Ohio and Pennsylvania and I wanted to figure out how many people in OSHA are actually available to do inspections, even if you had something and you subtract out the bureaucrats and for the, um, based on the number of businesses, this is just businesses in Ohio and Pennsylvania, for the number of inspectors to inspect each business once, it would take between two and 300 years. I said, never gonna happen unless they do a lot of hiring. And even if they do a lot of hiring, what are they gonna hold people against? What criteria is OSHA gonna cite for non-compliance with OSHA regulations? This is the only regulation that exists, the respiratory protection standard, and it doesn't apply to masks explicitly. So the question that I have is why did OSHA implement it when these are their requirements by law? Uh, it blows my mind because when they, I saw they, that- They, I was really, they really didn't. They use the word recommended, not required. That's a, it's kind of like should versus shall. Shall. Should means we'd, we'd like you to do it. Shall means you must. Recommended means we'd like you to do it. Required means you have to do it. Okay, so how does OSHA make a recommendation when they know that it goes totally against actual laws? Because it, because they 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 write in page six, they take they give it on the front page and they take it away on page six. Yeah, and then people are talking about OSHA doing this and that, and then they get away with it. Oh, OSHA said, you know, I wanted to talk about um, more on this. Um, you know, the 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 concerns we have in regards to wearing masks and uh, being able to breathe. Sure. Um, I don't understand, you know, why this is being done. I wanted to show people what dilution is first um, because I, I have been seeing that question. Could you yeah, explain the, the, dilution and ventilation so they understand it better? Yeah, this, the, go up one more if you would, Tori, please. Could you scroll up one? You know, when I, what, what I mean is, when I, when I first started hearing about this, I said, look, if you open windows, if you're at your home and you crack windows, or um, you'll probably dilute whatever concentration's in there by a factor of 100 to 1,000. 
um, unless there's no wind at all. Um, and so I said, meet outdoors if you can, uh, open windows and doors if you're really concerned. Um, those are simple things you can do. I'm, I'm reminded, I, I tell this story, I, I got tired of watching TV, so I started reading books. And I read General Sherman, Tecumseh Sherman's memoirs. And at the very end, he had lessons learned. And one of them he said, which was fascinating, he said, I learned that the men who were sick and wounded healed much more quickly under a giant shade tree than in those putrid buildings. So he understood right away that fresh air was better. It's the best way to dilute contaminants. And what's just stunning to me is to hear a mayor of, I believe it was the mayor of New York say, don't go to the ocean, don't go outdoors, where a lot of the people that are living multifamily and are packed together, stay inside. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes, I remember Chris Christie sitting on the beach. He became a meme everywhere with that but beach I, chair. But I, I'm like pulling my hair out. I said, I don't want people all packed indoors together. We know that contaminants concentrate indoors by a factor of three to five, depends on the contaminant and the situation. But I want people outdoors and, and in as much fresh air as possible. And um, when I heard people say, no, 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 we gotta lock you down, stay inside, don't go outdoors, don't go to the beach. And I'm like, well, no, the beach is great. You got the salt aerosols and man, that's a great, COVID doesn't like that environment, I'm telling you. So um, the first thing is, a, you know, these are very common sense answers. Get as much fresh air in as you can. Will it chew up some electricity or some natural gas and especially in the winter or the summer? Of course, but dilution is the solution to pollution. Next slide. Excellent. And uh, you know, I actually realized that in the apartment building that I live in, and I remember when I when I signed my lease a couple of years ago, they had this weird bill attached to my lease, which was HVAC. Yeah. I actually have my own HVAC for my apartment, which means my air is clean constantly just for my apartment within my apartment, which is kind of cool. Maybe this is why you know, yeah, I haven't been touched well. with any cold since I've been here. So at commercial and industrial buildings, they have these things called dampers. And you'll see them up on the top of the large buildings. You'll see these louvered areas up high sometimes. And what's happened to us is, uh, I won't go into the details, but the energy codes have taken over. And what they've done is try to really restrict the amount of fresh air that comes in the buildings because to treat fresh air, to dehumidify it or change its temperature costs energy. So a lot of times these louvers or dampers are all almost fully closed or, or closed for a lot of the time. And my, my thoughts back in 2020 was, well, let's override the energy codes, chew up some energy, that's okay. And let's maximize the fresh air intakes. In other words, override the controls of these commercial and industrial buildings, uh, whether it be in schools or whatnot, and make those dampers go wide open you will have some issues on humidity control and you will increase your bills, electric or gas bills. But at least we really take care of the, you know, we have a much better chance of taking care of the infectious disease problem. Um, so that's, I'm just showing a, a commercial damper. And you can imagine if you pull that down and open it up, it's kind of like blinds on a shade. Um, you want those open to let as much fresh air in as you can. Because in many buildings, the amount of fresh air that comes in is only 5 to 10% of the total air circulating. The rest of it just goes in a big circle. You don't dilute much when you just run your contaminants in a big circle. Go ahead, next. The destruction technologies, there are several out there. I have them in both my homes and businesses, this uh, needlepoint ionization technology 
that unit's about four inches by six inches and it slaps on the indoor unit fan. It's got a magnet on the back. It really only has two wires to hook up. They run about $400 and they'll cover about six tons or about 6,000 square feet. So that's a pretty big home or a small commercial building. Um, they report that it will kill per pass 94% of um, bacteria, mold, COVID, et cetera. Um, wouldn't it have been nice if they'd offered each of those to everybody instead of giving everybody free money and, and closing up their businesses and stuff? Um, do I know for sure they work? No, I just have the tests that they've run, but boy, I would like to see the government spend a little money looking at these to, to figure which one's out is best and why. But there've been something like 400,000 of these installed. Another thing that, that uh, has been used is everybody remembers from being a kid, perhaps when your parents would pour hydrogen peroxide on a cut. You can take low levels of hydrogen peroxide, ionize it and inject it into the air ducts and that will act as a, as a uh, kill the kill the virus as is well. Is that what airplanes are using when you see that um, that mist come through? No, that's typically just uh, where you got a humid environment and, and it's cooling the air so much that you're seeing condensation. So By the way, they're talking about that, but they put new filtration systems and stuff. Yeah, well, let me tell you about that story real quick. Please. Um, so I, I fly a lot, unfortunately. And um, on Spirit Airlines, the, they, they have the owner, or the president of the company gets on and gives a speech to all the, the passengers. And he starts by saying, you know, we we have filters on this plane that separate that pull out 99.99% of the particles. And we recirculate the air every three minutes through the plane. And I want to throw up. I said, yeah, 99.99% of the droplets part probably, but not the aerosols. So the 99.9% depends on what you're talking about. And I'll guarantee you it's not 0.1 micron particles. And the other thing is that I've seen the studies on SARS-1 where we simulated whole mock-ups of planes. And there was an individual that I saw this uh, paper in February of 2020 in Atlanta. And in SARS-1, there was an uh, infected individual that flew from Beijing to Hong Kong, I believe. And if you were plus or minus four seats from that person, you got SARS-1. And so they did a whole bunch of modeling of the plane air. And it may well be that if you looked at the air that runs down the aisle or something, it circulates every three minutes. But if you look at what happens in your local seat area, the air comes out and it just, it just does a big circle. It's a big eddy. And um, I've always argued for 30 years that the planes ought to have a return air duct under your seat, like a piece of molded plastic that you have the intake where the, or the supply where the air comes in through the nozzle, but there's no return other than it finally works its way through the aisles and seats and gets to the back where it's filtered. So both of those statements by the president of that airline, I think are horribly misleading. And I, I, uh, I will tell you that plain air is, I think most people understand that, but plain air, frankly, is, is an area where you can get sick. I did. I mean, I, we always did. Even before COVID, it would be what call, what would we call it? Like airline cooties, flight yeah. cooties, right? You'd always come out clogged up, feeling a little bit sickly because you're in a closed space. And the longer the flight, the longer you're in that closed space. I mean, the first time I took a flight without a respirator, I wore that crazy mask and I got COVID. And I'm not saying that that's the, the reason for sure, but 
within three, four days I had COVID and I, I had the vaccine good or bad. And, uh, so, you know, I'm sure I got it on that plane or at least in the airport. Um, but, um, that's another story for another day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people are getting it. I know that, um, I I've been traveling a lot in these past few months and for me, it's more, you know, I just get sick. I just, I'm just eating all the time. I have snacks with me. So my mask is down and I'm always drinking. And it's like, I'm a baby with a bottle in her mouth, you know, drinking and doing something. So they leave me alone. So every time an eye glances at me, you know, I'm busy eating. I had one person saying, you need to put your mask up. And I was like, dude, I got to keep the silhouette. I'm still eating. You know, I got to maintain. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, um, you know, incredible to see how people on the planes are getting sick, probably just cooties and maybe testing positive because, you know, maybe they have the antibodies or maybe they were in contact with someone. That doesn't mean you're dying. Right. Well, the best one, Tori, that I've seen is, is seeing a person in a convertible top down wearing a uh, shield. Now, I thought that person really understands the science. Oh my gosh, the shields make me laugh a lot. I, I'm just saying every time I walk up to a desk and it has this little plexiglass, this square, I even ask, do you think the virus is going to just stop here? Is it going to come around? I'm just like confused. And they look at me all puzzled. Or when they have the hanging plexiglass, that's <laughs> yeah. even crazier. Yeah, I, those barriers are goofy. Well, I mean, I, I'm getting a pedicure and I have a, a, a hanging plastic thing between me and the person who, by the way, isn't protected by that because there's no plexiglass in front of her. It's only up by my face, not down where I'm looking at her. So right. it's just it's just really bizarre. Uh, that's why I say it feels like they've canceled common sense, just simple common sense, aside from being educated on masks. You know, I, you know, I kind of think that there's a lot of people that just like the drama to wear it. And um, oh, today I was actually in a Walmart uh, I did. I went to go get cuties and I um, I wanted to get some cheese at the deli counter and there was like no one there and there was this massive line. So this manager comes up, uh, tells off her staff for her mask falling down, right? But her mask was underneath her nose. So she finishes, I, I just tell her, so do you think a mask protects you? And she says, of course. And I said, well, you're wearing it wrong. It's under your nose. If you really thought it was protecting you, it would have been taped to your face because you'd be terrified of whatever's out there. So I don't think you really are. So you shouldn't be scolding people that they're wearing it wrong because anyway, she's wearing a glitter mask <laughs> that was made out of mesh. That, that doesn't save you. If I blow smoke in her face, it's going to go right through, but the virus isn't. And she just gave me a blank stare and she goes, well, Dr. Fauci, I just, I was gone already. When she started with that sentence, I had already left to go to the line so I can get my cheese. Um, mm -hmm. It was just, I, you know, as I said, it's just bizarre. Now, coming back to the negative effects. Yes. And we saw that paper. Now, what about the people that have problems breathing? So right now we're seeing an uptick in people and, and it's, it's actually kind of scary, Mr. Petty, because I'm seeing a lot of people um, getting sick, getting cooties, even bacterial pneumonias, which is bacterial. Sometimes you could go home and take your medicine, right? If you catch it early. Other times you need to get intravenous, um, uh, you know, antibiotics. 
but everyone's going in with a bacterial pneumonia and suddenly, oh, you have a COVID complication pneumonia. I'm like, what does that mean? And they're making them wear masks. So they're gasping for air as it is. I don't know if you've ever had a pneumonia, but I have. I actually had the black pneumonia. That's what it was called in Europe back in uh, 2006. Um, I was leaving for a place I can't say on air. And I was very sick because I was hypothermic. And it was the most, you know, it didn't have the traditional fever or anything, but I, my temperature was extremely low. And I was pumped with crazy amounts of antibiotics. And I remember gasping for air for that 24 hours. Uh, I couldn't imagine trying to, 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 having to wear a mask or an, you know, or a fitted mask like this woman that I was on the phone with, um, who is in the hospital right now with an ammonia and being forced to wear it. I mean, wear the fit tests to put these on patients and they're killing them. I, I feel like that's actually causing more harm. I mean, this is my opinion from the knowledge I know. And, and as just an average person, if I can't breathe, you're not going to put a scarf over my face because I won't breathe any better. We have, worse. I mean, you have two, two effects going on. First of all, if you're wearing a mask, remember I said earlier that you, your, your mask is a perfect breeding ground for amplification of mold and bacteria. So if your body is trying to exhale and get rid of at least a portion of whatever disease you have. That's part of the reason you, you breathe out through your lungs. And if you trap that stuff on mask and then grow it, now you rebreathe it. So you actually aggravate the levels of, of toxins in your lungs because not only you're not getting rid of some of it, you're rebreathing, you're creating a breathing ground, breathing ground, and then re, re-inhaling that material. So then it obviously the, the more infection you have, the less uh, small sacs you have for, for taking in oxygen. Plus the mask as they get clogged will increasingly have some resistance, which makes it harder to breathe. So all of those things work against you. And that's pretty well established. Um, there was a pulmonologist on um, Daniel Horowitz either yesterday or day before, and he talked at length about those effects. He also said that some of these uh, N- N95s and surgical, ma- or surgical masks have plastics in them and the plastics break down and inhale small particles of plastic, which does not is not good. So there are, you know, a lot of this stuff is just emerging, but a lot of it's common sense as well. We know this from, from other diseases and, and using PPE and things like that in the past. So, Mr. Betty, you've spent, you know, two hours with us. I wanted to know what you find on your slide that we can share with the people uh, before um, we go for the evening. Is there something else that we can arm them with with knowledge? I will share this slide um, that's part of the lawsuit um, in the Telegram channel for all of you to have. But is there something else? Um, I just, yeah, if... if one of the things, if you could go to eight, eight and nine, um, I think that one of the biggest challenges uh, that we all face is that um, the field has been left for doctors to opine on exposure and exposure control. And in general, that's not their area of expertise. It's the area of industrial hygiene. And I, I put the definition of that here because it's so important. It's 
there are not many of us in terms of certification. I think there's less than 10,000, but it's the science and art devoted to anticipating, recognizing, evaluating, and controlling things that will cause sickness, impaired health and well-being, discomfort, and death. And so if you look on the next page, I said it, it's, it's the field associated with exposure, PPE, and warnings. And it's really not recognized by the public media and governmental officials. Thus, they rely on MDs instead of, uh, instead of people like ourselves. And I always tell everybody, and no, it's not associated with dentistry. I know. I hear that all the time. Someone said, why would I need a dentist? And I'm like, um. So it's, it's um, and I can understand why people would confuse that. But um, I would I would just say, remember that you don't want to have, even, even if you're having heart surgery, you don't want your brain surgeon doing it. I mean, there are people that have, that are all certainly qualified to do what they do, but they're qualified in a certain area for a reason. And they may be able to talk. If you put a mic in front of somebody, they'll talk. But in general, like I said, in, in litigation, we have an exposure expert and we have a medical expert and they have two different roles. And in, in I, I'm not aware of a case and I've been in almost 400 disclosed where we get in each other's sandboxes. But it's again. I, I, I don't know why they are though, because I, I was reading some cases from other schools that had filed within my state, claiming that masks don't work and that they shouldn't, and unfortunately, they didn't cite any of your information, and right. failed. But they were constantly quoting doctors, the nurses' association, pharmaceutical experts, and I'm like, hold on a second, that's not their domain. A pharmacist will talk to you about drugs, interactions, toxicity, efficacy. Doctors, according to their specialty, I mean, a psychiatrist will talk about your psychiatric issues, but he won't talk to you about prostate, right? Even though he's trained, he won't talk to you about prostate. So why are they all chiming in, stepping in for industrial hygienists? Because there aren't very many of us and you put a mic in front of somebody and they'll talk. That's my opinion. I will give you a real world example of how that played out. Um, prior to me, I, I was involved in a case in the state of Kentucky and on May, Mar May 17th, there was a suit against the governor to reduce, re uh, remove the mask mandate. A previous suit had failed. It, 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 it went through locally and then failed at the, at the uh, Kentucky Supreme Court because they made the argument that it was in the interest of public health to go ahead and do it, but they didn't have an exposure expert to refute that argument. So the second case, I was called, um, and it's online. If you read the judge's uh, opinions of me on 15, page 15 through 17, I eviscerated the Wait, argument. Wait, is it on this um, slide? Um, let me see if I've got, yeah, it's on um, seven. Page seven. There it is, page seven. Let me zoom that in for people. So if, if you put my name in in Boone County, Kentucky, you'll see the, the decision. As a result of, uh, well, there was two of us that testified, but in, at least in part, because I was the exposure expert, um, the mask mandate was rescinded statewide on June 8th, I believe. Um, now they're supposedly fighting it in the Supreme Court again, but I got a feeling it's going to play this time because the governor's attorney tried to cross me and 
um, she was not very effective, I think. One, she, she probably didn't know who I was, but um, I had all the science behind me. And um, the judge was extremely complimentary in his decision. It was a bench trial. And um, so you can win these things. You just got to, you know, the problem we've had in losing them is that there haven't been exposure experts testify. And so they, they, the judges, not knowing any better, rely on this argument that masks help protect public safety. And the truth of the matter is they don't, uh, at least not in the sense that there are things that are much, much more effective. And the masks take the air out of the room instead of using engineering controls. But once you make the arguments with somebody with the right expertise, very difficult to lose. I mean, you can, but depending on jurisdiction, but the science is on our side, in my opinion. No, I, I, I see the science. I was I, I know that I've been trying to reach out to you for a year and I think I may have failed maybe website submissions, but I, I was so yeah, well, I don't know. Someone, you know, God brings people in when he wishes. This is what my thoughts <laughs> are. And so that day it worked. It was actually because I saw an email and I was like, let me do it. Um, so I, I, for all of you out there that listen to this, and this will be on um, iTunes and iHeart so you can download as well. It's really important to arm ourselves with knowledge in any case. And in respects to protecting yourself from environmental toxins, hazards, diseases, Industrial hygienists are the go-to people. They will tell you how you can minimize your exposure risk and how you can make sure that you are safe. Uh, your doctor will tell you how you can be well and, and healthy and cure yourself because that's their domain. Uh, environmental toxicology and industrial hygiene is not. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the medical doctors, by and large, stay in their offices. We go out in the field and we try to figure out what's bothering people. Um, I'll give you a real, I mean, if we have time, I'll give you a real world example. Yeah, of course. It was a non-litigation case and I was sent out by an insurance company to investigate a case where a woman was complaining of a lot of health effects and they wanted me to sample for mold. I got there and I, I uh, interviewed the lady and all her system, her symptoms were gastrointestinal. And then I did an inspection and they had a broken sewage line in the basement with feces on the floor. So I called the insurance guy up and I said, I want to sample for bacteria. He said, no, 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 I sent you out there to sample for mold. And I said, well, mold symptoms are all respiratory tract driven and bacterial are associated with gastrointestinal. And I said, I'll sample for mold, but I want, I want permission to sample for bacteria. Well, we had a long argument on the phone. And I finally said, look, pretend I'm your mechanic and you bring your car in and it's smoking like crazy out of the engine and you insist to only work on the tires. I said, let the expert do his job. And uh, so I sampled for both, and sure enough, the results came back sky high on bacteria. So um, you're not sending, so what happens in that case is I write my report up, it goes to an MD, the MD will look at the patient and make the specific diagnosis relying on his uh, work with the patient as well as my report. And 99% of the time, they're gonna agree with what I've said because they don't go in the field and try to winnow down all the things that could be making somebody sick and try to figure out which ones are most likely. Um, we, so we don't do the final diagnosis, but we take that huge set of problems and try to distill it down to those that are most likely. And we're out in the field. We're not, when I mean the field, we're outside of an office environment oftentimes. 
So there's a big difference. And then part of our job, especially in commercial industrial settings, is to try to figure out how to reduce or eliminate that exposure. Well, someone had a question. Yeah. Can you ask him for recommendations at home air quality tests? Uh, in terms, they is that they want to know what sort of tests to take? Yeah, how they can check the air quality in their homes, I guess. Um, there's, uh, it really, there's so many things you could test for. Um, simple test that we, we do almost every time is to measure temperature, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, um, and humidity levels. The reason is if you have high humidity levels, you're going to build up uh, biologics, especially mold. Um, if the CO2 level or CO levels are high, you may have a leaky furnace. Um, then you can go and you can sample for organics. Um, the problem always with this is as you go to, to more and more testing, it gets more and more expensive. And that's, that's what happens in the real world is these tests get to be expensive. But you can then measure for total organics to see if any of the organics are high. Um, what I typically do will do the baseline sampling and then do the interview. And one of the things that we're tasked with doing is the tests we have to take are, are pretty difficult um, to pass and become a CIH. Um, we have to pretty much memorize cause and effect. And so if you've done this for a long time, you have a lot of experience. And so by doing the interview, the individual or the individuals will almost always, along with the inspection, tell you what the problem is. That's fantastic. Well, I wanted to say on behalf of all of America right now that is confused. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks thank for the opportunity. No, thank you. You are a hero in our eyes because you're helping dispel disinformation, which is exactly what it, everyone feels like they're chasing their tail for about a year and a half, not knowing, first of all, not getting a clear insight on what this flu is, uh, COVID is, is it a bioweapon? Is it not? Is it real? Is it not? We're having vaccines without COVID in it. And everyone's just really confused. Wear a mask. We're three of them, five, 10. Shields are okay if you don't want to wear a mask. You know, it's very confusing. And this uh, is, is incredible because you've dispelled it. Not only that, you have tirelessly worked for the past couple of weeks. I know <laughs> because from, from me, you've gone to others signing affidavits after affidavits, reading tons of paperwork that concerned parents are sending to you. Thank you. Well, I, I hope that, that, that your plan time out from life to relax uh, for the, for the next, you know, 20 days, whatever is the most incredible time you have. You deserve it because you've given a lot of people comfort and given them information that they can at least understand and use to defend themselves, their jobs, their children, and their, uh, you know, and talk about the environment and not feel like they're chasing their tail or be labeled as a conspiracy theorist because they say masks are not working against COVID. Um, is there anything that you would like to tell my audience? Um, yeah, I just I wanted to thank you, Tori, for all you do and the chance to speak because the, the truth of the matter is that I think most people understand that there's something not right. And my job is just to provide you all out there with the, the tools or the ammunition to, uh, to tell these people, these bureaucrats, that they're wrong and have actual science to show them they're wrong. So thank you for doing this. 
I thank you very, very much. Uh, thank you again for coming to the Tory Sess Show. I can't wait to have you back on. I can't wait to be with you in a courtroom at some point battling this out too, uh, because in the courtroom, what matters is the facts. What matters is the truth and what matters is the actual science. And we all know that science evolves, but yours is well established. Uh, so uh, again, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Thank you. All righty. Take care now. Thank you. Have a great evening. You too. So everybody, that was um, Mr. Petty. Incredible, right? Uh, incredible guy, incredible information. I mean, how can you ask for more? So for those of you that are on Twitch, we'll do a quick raid um, right after this musical intermission. I think I'm going to use the same singer that I'm totally in love with. Let's go. Full of honey and I'm ready to go No, I ain't got no money But I'm letting you know That I'ma love you like a fool Breathe when I hallucinate Body make you silly Make you do what I want Baby, I can make you pretty I can string you along And I'ma love you like a fool Breathe you when I hallucinate You come my way, I'm losing my 